Well, good morning, Big Ten fans, and I presume that means most of you are Ohio State fans. We don't have that same SEC loyalty that they do in uh, the South, you know? Nobody chants Big Ten, Big Ten when Ohio State clubs Clemson. Not At least I didn't hear it, but Ohio State fans, I don't think they care much about the rest of the Big Ten, and Big Ten's probably tired of having the uh, Buckeyes beat up on them, but it is a good day for Kevin Warren, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, And he's like one... Win by the Buckeyes away in the national championship game against Alabama from taking the career victory lap of having done everything right on COVID. That's the only downside of Ohio State beating Clemson. The ultimate unearned victory lap. (laughs) And you know he will take it, right? Oh, 100%. Oh, my goodness. He'll get a nice shot of him with all his diplomas on the wall. Yes, he will. And then he'll have the he'll have his own crystal football. Talking about the, the success of the, the conference, uh, we did it right. We didn't put anybody in danger. Yeah, uh, that's what we have to look forward to. But you know, that's way down the list of priorities. As we begin a a few good men on the Big Ten podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm Bruce Hooley. Andy Anders beside me. Uh, we both picked Ohio State. Um, I don't know whether in Andy's case it was the wrath of Buckeye Nation in case you picked against them and they won. Uh, it's never a bad move, as uh, former Columbus Dispatch, current Letterman Row uh, 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 expert Tim May always says, never pick against Ohio State. I don't think Tim ever has. <laughs> but some games, Andy, you afterward go, ah, like, why didn't I see that up front? And I think we referenced as possible factors in the game all the things that proved to be the major factors in the game. Well, yeah, I think, uh, honestly, after the game, I, I've listened to, I guess, a lot of other um, Ohio State outlets and they're kind of the things they've said. And that's like what everyone's been saying about this game is it's all the strengths you thought Ohio State could play out in this mm-hmm. game. You talked about before the game, like this thing could go right for them, this thing could go right <laughs> for them. All of them went right for them. And yeah. I think in a bigger factor than we were all expecting. My big thing going into this was I thought Ohio State had an advantage on both lines, but what really concerned me was the secondary. I didn't expect Trevor Lawrence to be running for his life on every single play. Yeah, he was. The defensive line ate Clemson's O-line for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and probably threw in an extra snack. Yeah, midnight snack. They um, absolutely dominated up front. Offensive line, maybe even more so on the opposite side. And the tight the tight ends were washing down Clemson defensive ends. Mm-hmm. I mean, down blocking Jeremy Rucker cleared out lanes. Jeremy Rucker was clearing out lanes for Trey Sermon. Uh, the line advantage was insane, but far from the only thing that went for Ohio State in that game. I think Justin Fields. I can't think of a better performance by an Ohio State quarterback in a single game ever. Oh, well, I watched Troy Smith take Michigan apart as a sophomore and as a senior. So I was. I'd I was have to. Younger. I'd have to think about those t- those comparatively, but um, as big as the Michigan game is, it's not a college football playoff game, although right. in 2006 it was a national championship play-in game, so you could accord it that same status. Nevertheless, six touchdown passes is six touchdown passes. And half of those, while his ribs were, I guess, not broken because he probably wouldn't have been playing if they were broken, but bruised, he was certainly in pain. Yeah, um, I'm sure they gave him the good old cortisone shot or whatever at halftime. Take the needle, my friend Chris Spielman needle. always used to say. Take the needle! Because uh, he came out, he looked like he was in significantly less pain in the second <laughs> half, but still threw two touchdown strikes at the end of the first half while noticeably grimacing yeah. after every single throw. Adrenaline's a wonderful thing. Uh, absolutely. And emotion's a wonderful thing. And you went through and very uh, you know, eloquently captured 
the essence of the game from an X's and O's perspective. I think what also played into it, Kirk Herbstreet said it with 12 minutes to go, and it was interesting. I don't know. It was like a time stood still thing for me. The minute he started to talk, I thought, here it comes. He's going to put this in perfect perspective. And he said, basically, this game boiled down to one team, this is their Super Bowl. They've thought about it for a year. They've obsessed about it for a year. They've stewed about it, fretted about it, obsessed about it. And they all together tonight at one time, just in the words of um, the great uh, General uh, Maximus in Gladiator, unleashed hell on Clemson. I mean, they just did. On my signal, unleash hell. And that's what they did. They just, that was revenge for 29-23 to 23 last year in, in Glendale. Well, not just revenge for 29-23. Um, this has been said multiple times that I've heard. Ohio State plays the disrespect card better than any other team in the country. I mean, 8-1 and one is an underdog since Urban Meyer Ryan, and then Ryan Day have been coached at Ohio State. 8-1 now. And they were a touchdown underdog in this game. And not only that, Dabo Sweeney, I mean, we all know this storyline. This has been talked about and ranted about everywhere. Ranked Ohio State 11th heading into this game. And did, did you did you get a chance to see Dabo's presser after the game? I did not. I did not. It was so late. And I wanted to do my own podcast right after the game. So I actually, with eight minutes to go, recorded my podcast because there was no comeback happening as I started that podcast with the fat lady hasn't sung yet but I can hear her singing warming up I mean it was it was that over and uh so no I did not I I actually have a little different take on Dabo uh I know most people hate the fact that he ranked him 11th and I assume you're going to allude to the fact that he stuck with that after the game Mm -hmm. I admire a person who has a reason for what they are doing and even though the outcome of the game proved that Ohio State was clearly the better team on that night than Clemson, he basically said, look, my, my issue is uh, teams that play 10, 11 games have to deal with more than teams that play six or seven games, and so I don't regret it. I don't regret it. I thought he was very complimentary to Ohio State, but as an, if and until he had said, yeah, I screwed up, I should have ranked him second, that was the only thing that people were going to be happy with. And I'm not even sure they would have been happy with that. No. Um, look, here's my main issue with it, Bruce. I don't. I get the principle of it, and I understand why he did it. I mean, it's been well explained. He was complimentary to Ohio State, but you cannot deny the fact that it motivated them. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. You saw all the players tweeting out after the game. Yeah. 11. Garrett Wilson on Twitter. Does that make them 18 now? Yeah. After the game. So... You have to weigh that as a head coach. I mean, there's principle, but no one's going to know about this principle. You don't have to be, you know the ballot is public. You know that this is a mm-hmm. team that is going to take any fuel you give them and use it. Why not, just for this once, put it aside, rank them in the top five, don't give that extra log to the fire. And then to after the game to say, no, it wasn't a factor for them. That didn't motivate them. Uh, yeah, it did. Yeah. I'm sorry. No doubt it did. Um, to deny that fact of it is the main thing I see is kind of um, farsighted on Dabo's part. To deny that it was a factor in the game, because it was. They felt disrespected. Uh, they used it to say, hey, you want to rank us 11? Fine, we're going to go out and beat you mm-hmm. as the number three team in the country. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I just... Uh, 
I, it was definitely a big motivator for them, and that's the main thing I have. I don't have a problem with Dabo with his principle. I wouldn't have done it, even if that's what I personally thought, because I was raised, you don't give bulletin board yeah. material to the other guys, but um, denying that it was a factor is kind of ludicrous. That's actually, the fact that he did it, knowing his poll vote was going to be public and knowing that he was going to play Ohio State, I sort of admire that. I sort of like go, okay, like you're not afraid to, you know, because most people would be like, well, I'm not giving him anything, you know, on me. I kind of admire it, but I don't think it was like the smartest thing in the world to do. It's like, I feel like I'm kind of watching the uh, jackass videos, like the guys who jump <laughs> off roofs and I go, well, I admire the chutzpah, but I wouldn't do it, you know? So that was kind of like, Dabo's jackass moment, I guess, where he was going to do what he was going to do, and he did it, and uh, yeah, it, it didn't work out for him at all. Wow. So, did did Clemson winning one national championship with Trevor Lawrence underachieve? That's a tough question. I I don't think so. I I think it's it is so hard to win a national title, yeah. especially in today's age of the playoff, because you've got to beat two. Top-tier teams usually. Mm-hmm. Usually. I mean, beating Ohio State, then turning around and beating LSU last year. When LSU, mm. let's be honest, Oklahoma was the fourth team out. They were, you had LSU, Ohio State, Clemson last year, and everyone else below yeah. that. Yeah. Oklahoma was the fourth team that happened to get in. Everybody knew the weaknesses they had on defense. Everybody knew that they could get exposed, and LSU did that. Clemson had a much tougher game. First round. I think there was some residual effect leading into that game. Not to say they, LSU wasn't the better team, because I think LSU was. But um, t- that would have been that would have been one of the most well-earned national championships ever, which I think is why you can't fault them for losing it. Um, winning a championship with Trevor Lawrence when he was a freshman, and then you lose to a very good Ohio State team this year. I don't think you could say they underachieved. Um Disappoint. They might be a little disappointed that they returned what they returned and weren't able to beat the Buckeyes again. Because going into this game, it kind of looked like Ohio State is missing more than Clemson did last year. But overall, um, made the playoffs all three years, got the one natty. Yeah. Can't say Clemson underachieved, in my opinion. I, I'm with you on that. A lot of people will say that. And I actually asked that question as a precursor to this question, which is, will Ohio State have underachieved if it doesn't win a national championship with Justin Fields? Well, it had Fields won last year than Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence was at Clemson, obviously, because he was at Georgia his freshman season. Um, it's just so hard to win. People undervalue how hard it is That's to win exactly a national right. title. That's exactly right. It is to get to the playoffs both years you have somebody like that. That's a great achievement. They won the Big Ten both years. They've lost one game thus far. If they lose to Alabama in the national title, it'll be two under Justin Fields. They won't have lost a single regular season game, a single Big Ten title game. They will have only lost playoff games with Justin Fields. You cannot say they underachieved then, especially given the numbers he's put up and some of the performances he's had on the biggest stages. Obviously, this Clemson game is his thus far his crown jewel at Ohio State. We'll see what he does against Alabama. Last year against Michigan, coming off the bench after the knee injury, tossing that 30-yarder to Garrett Wilson. I mean, he's had some of those moments. I can't – I'm hardly ever going to fault a team that doesn't win a national title and say they underachieve because it is so hard to win one other than, like, if you are sort of a generational team like the 2015 Ohio State team was. uh, That was a team that should have at least made the playoff, probably won a national title because they returned most of the pieces from a – 
national title team the previous year. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, we want to thank you for watching us on Twitch, the Chris Landry Football Channel on Twitch. Hit that follow button, the heart located in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. When you do, you'll receive an email every time we go live or a notification. And our podcast is sponsored by America's Betting Experts. Go to LandryFootball.com. Click on the America's Betting Experts link and use the betting service legal in your area, whether it's PointsBet or DraftKings or whatever it is. They'll give you a nice match, $100 up to $1,000. American Betting Experts is one of the largest licensed sports and casino vendors in the U.S. Go to LandryFootball.com for that special offer. Okay, Justin Fields has had Heisman moments in his career. He will not win the Heisman Trophy. He's not a finalist on Wednesday. That is, I think, uh, exclusively a factor of the – small number of games he's played compared to Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, which I can't even believe Kyle Trask is a finalist, but okay, whatever. He's not on my ballot. Um, The other, uh, Devonta Smith, of course, and then Trevor Lawrence. Is it an advantage for Ohio State in this COVID era if either Mac Jones or Devonta Smith wins the Heisman? They will not be in New York. They will not have the whole fall to roll that uh, typically Heisman people have to go through, but typically those Heisman people go through it a month ahead of their playoff game, not the week of their playoff game. So do you think, are you uh, rooting for Mac Jones or Devonta Smith because it'll play some kind of distraction impact or motivational impact for Ohio State or whatever on the part of Alabama? Well, it will have those impacts. I think they're marginalized <clears throat> by the factors you said. Uh, the fact that there's not the big ceremony around it, uh, you know, you're not flying out to New York. You're not celebrating with all these people. You know, it's pretty much you're going to get it over a remote mm-hmm. like a Zoom call, essentially. Yeah. You get a Zoom Heisman. Yes. You get a Zoom Heisman, and then, you know, it's right back to prep work. So I, the normal effects, and we've seen um, winning the Heisman and getting those individual awards have negative impacts on a team before. We alluded to the 2006 Ohio State team earlier. I yep. think Troy Smith's Heisman had a negative impact mm-hmm. on him in the national championship game. Definitely. Um, so did the In and Out Burgers had a negative effect on. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But uh, <laughs> topic for another day. That's uh, a tasty burger, as Troy would say. Yes. <laughs> or Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> uh, all right. So we other we have one other factor, one similar factor for Alabama that befell Clemson, although it's not to date yet befalling Alabama in the exact same way. Tony Elliott, the Clemson offensive coordinator, couldn't be in the Superdome and he couldn't call plays. I do think that played a factor. It didn't play a 21-point factor. No. Okay. Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator at Alabama, is on the Nick Saban rehabilitation tour, as was, uh, you know, as have other guys been in the past, Lane Kiffin most notably. Uh and Sark was hired Saturday as the head coach at Texas, which gave Tom Herman kind of a milk toast vote of confidence a few weeks ago when they couldn't get Urban Meyer. And then Herman won his fourth bowl game at Texas. And then my guess is when Sarkeesian said, yeah, I'll take it, they fired Tom Herman. <laughs> so Sarkeesian Sark is going to stay with Bama. And I was not aware how many times Bama's been through this. In the title game. Now, in Ohio State fans will remember in 2007, the 2007 season, the 2008 Sugar Bowl national title game, Bo Pelini was the defensive coordinator at LSU. He was hired at Nebraska, but he stayed at LSU until the game was over and LSU won the game. Jeff Halfley last year. 
Jeff Halfley last year stayed with Ohio State. So this is, but Saban's been through this before. He's been through it with Kirby Smart. He's been through it with Lane Kiffin. Uh, he had Kiffin like he kicked Kiffin out of the building, which he's not doing with Sarkeesian. Uh, he did not do it with Jeremy Pruitt in 2017 when they beat Georgia in the national title game. Jeremy Pruitt had been hired at Tech, uh, Tennessee, and Mike Loxley was the OC when they played Clemson three years ago. Uh, Loxley stayed, didn't make any difference. 44-16 was the final in that one. So Sarkeesian is going to stay with Bama. And maybe this is one thing where COVID works for him because Sark met his team on Zoom on Saturday, but he's supposedly staying in Tuscaloosa and staying with the Tide through January 11th, Monday night's championship game. Yeah, I just... um... I, that coordinator leaving after the game dynamic is always weird, and I imagine it's weird in the locker room, but that's the only way I could see it playing out negatively for Alabama. It's kind of that weird locker room thing, maybe a slight, that slight bit less buy-in from the players because you know the person's leaving, mm-hmm. um, but I, I don't think it'll affect Sark's ability to coach in the game. Uh, so much, I don't think he's going to look ahead a week past a national championship because it's a national championship. He'll he'll bring his best schemes, I think. He'll bring his best game plans to the table. Um, the only question is the buy-in from the players, and if that's there, then I don't think it's going to have any negative impact on Alabama. Well, for Sark, I think it's a huge... St- I think there's more stake in this game for Steve Sarkeesian than there was on Friday night. Because now that he's the head coach at Texas, all these Texas high school players are watching him to see if he's the guy whose offense puts up 50 on Ohio State in the national championship game and his quarterback or his wide receiver wins a Heisman Trophy, all of a sudden a lot of Texas juniors who are verbally committed elsewhere are going to at least have to take note of that. Now, if his offense goes out there against Ohio State and lays an egg, then notably Ohio State, which is just absolutely, you know, pillaged the state of Texas for elite high school talent. I that would, in my view, would not interrupt Ohio State's would would add to Ohio State's success in Texas. And Sarkeesian right. going in there and saying, "Oh no no no, it's going to be different now." They'll be like, "Wait a second, it wasn't different on the 11th of January? They smoked you." Well, yes. Uh, the one thing I'll add to that though is that um, <clears throat> I in my time, my brief time now, I've been covering recruiting all of four months. Um, it's rare to see one game really swing any one crew's opinion of a team. It can gain momentum. What if you're a quarterback? If what if you're Quinn Ewers? Quinn Ewers, I don't think... Quinn Ewers, who supposedly grew up like with Texas posters oh, yeah, on the wall. Yeah, I mean, and, wanting to be, Baron Torrance, all that. One, but, wanting to be a Texas Longhorn and then had committed to Texas, and then because I think of Herman's tenuous job security... Quinn Ewers is now committed to Ohio State. He's a junior. He's entering his senior year. If Sarkeesian gets to Texas and Texas offense, you know, I mean, let's say in this game they look really good. I think that's the one guy that I thought, hmm, you know, Garrett Wilson, Ohio State got out of Texas, Baron Browning, J.K. Dobbins, on and on and on. Yeah. No, it's definitely an interesting narrative. I just think... Just what I know about Ewers and the relationship he really built with the Ohio State staff and now with his fellow classmates of 2022, um, I just I, I can't see Texas coming back in that one. Um, 
And I don't think Sarkeesian's a big... The only guy I could have seen pulling a coup like that off is if they landed Urban. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Um, they landed Urban, maybe Urban could have pulled that kind of a coup off. Sarkeesian, I don't see... It's Recruiting is about relationships, first and for- foremost. And Ewers now has really strong relationships with Ohio State. And it's going to be hard to break those down. Uh, it's made easier by the fact he grew up a Texas fan, but plenty of recruits don't let their previous fandom influence where they go to school. Because they know um, they got to go where's best for them in their careers and where they feel most comfortable and what's going to get them to the next level. Ryan Day's proven himself as one of the best quarterback developers in the country, too. So I think that adds to it. Uh, we are uh, part of the Landry Football Network. Go to LandryFootball.com for all the podcasts about all the aspects of football that interest you. If it's recruiting, if it's scouting, if it's the NFL, college, high school, we have it all at LandryFootball.com. And click on that uh, America's Betting Experts logo. They are our title sponsor, one of the largest sports and casino vendors in the U.S., and they'll have a nice uh, matching bet for you, $100 up to $1,000. Thanks for watching us on Twitch. Hit that follow button. You'll get notifications every single time, not just for our show, but for other shows like our friends from the Big 12 who follow at the top of the hour within defense of the Big 12. Uh, Speaking of defense, (laughs) what's your just distant opinion of the Alabama defense that will attempt to slow down an Ohio State offense that was clearly clicking on all cylinders in its win over Clemson. Right. Um, Definitely better than Clemson's uh, defense, I would say, especially in the front seven. Ohio State's offensive line, while one of the best in the country, and I think will have still a slight advantage in this game, it won't be as big as we saw against Clemson. Um, They... Clemson's front seven just didn't get tested as much in the ACC, and I think it kind of elevated their status. And then Ohio State exposed it a little bit in the playoff game there. Uh, Clemson still has depth and talent there, but they were young. Uh, Clemson, sorry, Clemson, Alabama has some more experienced guys, some um, more proven guys, I think, on the interior especially that are going to make this a little tougher sledding for Ohio State. And it'll be a battle I'm really interested in on is the line of scrimmage in this game because I was sure Ohio State was going to have a slight edge against Clemson in that fact. Um, turned out to be a much bigger edge than I thought it was going to be. Alabama, better on both lines. I think Ohio State, again, may have a slight edge on both sides, but I'm not sure, particularly not Ohio State's O-line against Clemson, against Alabama's D-line. Uh, because without Landon Dickerson on uh, Clem- on Alabama's O-line, why do I keep saying Clemson? On Alabama's O-line, without Landon Dickerson, I could see Tommy Togiai and Haskell Garrett getting some real push up the middle. But that Ohio State O-line versus Alabama D-line matchup is one I'm really looking forward to. Then in the back end, if Ohio State can hold up in protection and give Fields time to throw... And this is the wonderful thing about Fields' performance against Clemson is that we saw now he's finally gotten that ability to take the check down. There was times Clemson sent pressure at him in that game. The first receiver downfield wasn't open. He turns, flicks it out to Sermon. 12-yard gain. Mm-hmm. Checks it down to Olave. The first, the first pass he completed was his third read. Yeah. I went back and watched that play. He went one, two, three. Olave's open. 12-yard gain. So uh, that's something we haven't seen him do this year. That's been his number one weakness, and he's doing it now. And what that does, if the line is giving him time to get through those progressions and he's checking down early, it opens up the deep stuff late, and that's what happened against Clemson. And Alabama's secondary has similar issues. Um, 
the passing game could really open up if Ohio State's offensive line is holding up at the point of attack because the pressure is going to be coming. But you just give him that extra half second, it'll make all the difference for Ohio State's offense in this game. We could really see a track beat in this game, Bruce. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not too, uh, I'm not too sure that's not how this game plays out. Yeah, I mean, we certainly can. That's kind of a part of uh, where we are offensively in the college game right now. Is that the idea of what a good defense is has changed, and that's. Kind of why I asked you the question about your perception of Alabama's defense, because I was under the impression that Alabama's defense was really vulnerable. But I realize now, as I look at their scores, that I was scarred or uh, overly impacted by watching them play at Mississippi in Week 3. That was a track meet. It was 63-48. to That's Lane Kiffin against Nick Saban. It's a guy who's worked with Nick Saban, worked with Alabama's defense, knows the schemes. So that's pretty much your insider trading right there. I thought I'd see that in other scores on Bama's season-long game log. It doesn't really seem to me that it's a bad defensive performance to hold Texas A&M to 24 points. Texas A&M's talent, I watched it the other night in the Orange Bowl, they're legit. Georgia, they have legit talent. 24 points they held Georgia Yeah, that was with Stetson Bennett, though. True, that's true. It was. Uh, LSU, 17 points. Uh, the rest of them, you know, three, zero. Kentucky, they hold Kentucky to three points. That's, and Kentucky, a, good that's a good yeah. So I have a, a more flattering opinion of Bama's defense now that I look at the totality of their scores. And they do have some guys that are going to be, you know, very high picks in the NFL, chiefly quarterback Patrick Sertan. Uh, that one to me is interesting, like – Bama's going to put Devonta Smith in places that will get him covered by guys Ohio State doesn't want covering him. And Ohio State's going to put Chris Olave in places where Alabama doesn't want the guy covering him that's covering him. Or Yeah, so I think, to me, this could be a game where we see a lot of big plays, and it's if I had to boil it down to one factor, it's going to be, does Ohio State get pressure on Mac Jones? Because they got pressure on Trevor Lawrence, they made Trevor Lawrence uncomfortable. He's way more mobile than Mac Jones. Exactly. That was the point I was about to bring up. Yeah. And so that's what I want to know is if Bama can protect Mac Jones, that to me elevates significantly Alabama's chances of winning the game. Yeah, Mac Jones, three rushing yards this year. Um, not not at all the dual threat Clemson's uh, Trevor Lawrence was. And I think that's the only advantage really when I look at it matchup to matchup wise that Clemson really has on Alabama if you're just comparing offenses and saying well can Ohio State's defensive performance against Clemson translate to Alabama I think not having to account for the quarterback is a big difference uh it's going to add an extra defender on some plays now I think honestly this year Najee Harris better than Travis Etienne yeah um definitely better receivers because Alabama has the best receivers in the country Devontae Smith and he matchy behind him Imagine this team if they had Jalen Waddle. Oh, my goodness. Um, and we don't know for sure they're not going to have Jalen Waddle. It's highly unlikely, but Bama's not really saying. They just say he's doing – they came up with some term I never heard before, dry dry land drills or something like that. Like, I, I don't know, dry something. Anyway, uh, Waddle's probably if he had two weeks, maybe. Uh, but Bama's definitely missing two studs. Their center – uh, Landon Dickerson and Jalen Waddle out wide. They're missing those two guys, but boy, they still have dudes like oh, absolutely. Najee Harris line too. Yeah. Better at running back, better at O line, better at receiver. Mac Jones probably this season 
every, uh, uh, almost as good, maybe slightly behind, almost as good a thrower as Trevor Lawrence. Seventy-seven percent completion. Seventy-seven percent, not That's as good crazy. a runner though. That no, that dual threat ability is something that hurts Ohio State's defensive scheme. We've seen it so many times. They really contained it with Trevor Lawrence. It's one of the main things they did well, other than one touchdown run in that game. Let me let me just stop you right there because on that touchdown run, Trevor Lawrence didn't have a very good game throwing the ball. I don't think it was necessarily him. It was pass rush and Oh yeah. and his receivers face all the time. His receivers are not, you know, it's not T Higgins and Justin Ross out Amari there. Mari Rogers still pretty good though. But they had him a year ago. But the run for the touchdown from Trevor Lawrence. Nobody's talked about this. I just thought to myself, he looks gangly and he outran Baron Browning to the corner. Mm-hmm. Like, Baron Browning had the angle on him. You, If you're Ohio State, you take that 10 times out of 10. Baron Browning's here. Lawrence is here. And you'd be like, sure, he's going to cut him off. And I was like, wow, that's just one of those plays. He's always where, more athletic than you expect. That's one of those plays where a scout is going to go, holy smokes, oh, I yeah. didn't know he, he could do that. He did the same thing last yeah. year. Everyone, they you, he does not look like... <laughs> Looking at him, or when he runs, he does yeah. not look like he's as fast as he is. Oh man, at all. <laughs> so that just—I was early in the game. I'm like, holy cow! That had to be demoralizing, because you know Ohio State was thinking we're going to spy him. We'll spy him with Baron Browning, and we'll be fine. Uh, that was just an aside. There's just a million things that happen in a football game that sometimes a player just flashes, and that was just one I wanted to mention. When I want, well, one thing I want to mention too. I think um, Amari Rogers did. Moss, as if you know what Moss is, if you know what receiver gets uh, a receiver Moss as a defensive back. Uh, Seven Banks got mossed once by Amari Rogers in that game, but after that, Seven Banks played a heck of a game. If you go back and watch it for Ohio State, um, and I know how much flack the secondary gets, but honestly, when they're both on their game, Seven Banks and Sean Wayne ain't a bad combo at corner. Um, it's mainly the safeties and the slot corner that have hurt Ohio State this year. And Lathan Ransom's actually doing a better job than Marcus Williamson of that slot corner spot, I think. Lathan Ransom's a true freshman. That's your disadvantage playing there. Marcus Williamson's a senior. But Lathan Ransom had a couple good pass breakups in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be interested to see. Um, I don't, I'm not sure there's a corner in the country that can cover Devontae Smith this no. year. They're going to have to double and scheme and zone and do things around him. And the other Clemson <laughs> weapons, because there's other weapons. But um, the secondary has been on the rise. The entire defense has been on the rise lately. The entire team's been on the rise. So uh, that's the thing, too. Ohio State's peaking at the right time. This is the ultimate test. Alabama, I think, Alabama and Ohio State are the two best offenses in the country this year. That's been proven now. Because Clemson was the third that you said, well, there's there's three. Ohio State's offense proven better in that last game. So, um the two best offenses in the country, the two best teams in the country are playing each other in the national championship. You can't ask for more than that as a football fan. And there will be ample storylines in this one regarding Nick Saban and his Ohio State ties and his Ohio ties. Nick Saban is uh, a West Virginia native. He was born in West Virginia, but he graduated from Kent State University. He was a student at Kent State, a football player at Kent State. Uh, when the uh, unfortunate shootings happened on the Kent State campus in uh, 1970, he was an Ohio State assistant coach under Earl Bruce in 1980 and 1981. He was a secondary coach, and he and a bunch of coaches on the defensive side were fired after that uh, final bowl game in 1981 when Ohio State beat 
uh, Napoleon McCallum and Navy in the Liberty Bowl, but gave up a bunch of yards and had given up a ton of yards all season long. So <coughs> that's the only time Nick Saban's been fired. He was fired by Ohio State. Yeah. So that's going to come up before this game. He was also a defensive coordinator with the Cleveland Browns, 1991 to 1994. And he, I believe, cost Ohio State a national championship in 1998 when he brought his Michigan State Spartans into Ohio Stadium. And with the Buckeyes, their 98 team is as good a team as I, as I have ever seen them have. And they were number one in the BCS and rolling. And Nick Saban and the Spartans upset them and kept them out of the national One of the game. rare years Cooper beat Michigan. <laughs> Lost to Michigan State. Yeah. So Nick Saban has, <clears throat> excuse me again, an ample uh, history crisscrossing with Ohio State and the state of Ohio. Yes, absolutely. There tons of storylines in this. One thing I wanted to ask you about, Bruce, though. Do you think, so we all know this was the game, this Clemson game, was the game Ohio State looked forward to for a year. They had the score posted in the locker room. The disrespect card got played. You have this peak of emotion that's the most fired up Ohio State's been for a game this year, maybe in a number of other years. They finally looked interested. This year in a game. Yes. They really, before you were like, looked, what's up with these guys? They looked as interested as any team has ever looked for Ohio <laughs> State that I've seen. Um, is there any letdown for Alabama? This was the monkey, you know. In 2014, when Urban Meyer beat Alabama, the SEC was the monkey on Ohio State's yeah. back. Ohio State can't beat the SEC in these BCS Bowl games. And then it was the college football playoff, a first college football playoff. You go in, you slay the giant, and Oregon felt like, Oregon wasn't as good as Alabama. Like, they were Not favored by close. a touchdown somehow. Not I still don't close. know how Vegas picked that spread. Um, and I well, say, they, had, they had Marcus Mariota. They had, they had the Mariota. national. Uh, they had the Heisman Trophy winner. Ohio State was so much better than them on both sides of the line, though. People always look past the trench battles. I'm telling you, Bruce. People laughed at me before that game. And I'm, if you guys don't know, I've been known over the years as somebody who's skeptical of Ohio State when they say they're the greatest, they're this, they're that. I looked at that matchup and covered the game in Dallas and I predicted Ohio I, I predicted a crazy score. I predicted Ohio State would win the game sixty three to twenty four. And people thought I was nuts. They're like, they're not gonna score sixty three points. All those crazy turnovers hadn't happened if, what uh, Exactly. <laughs> if they hadn't turned it over the number of times that they did, Oregon could not stop them. And you said a, a, a something a minute ago that is so on. There are many parallels the Clemson and the Alabama semifinals from 20, 2014 season to the 2020 season. Right. You're right. The SEC, it was like, okay, here we go. SEC's better than the Big Ten, la, 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 la. But Urban had a history with Saban. They had played three, I think, three knockdown dragout games, Bama and Florida. But this Alabama team is so much better, better than that than Oregon, that Oregon that's team. What, that's the point I was arriving yeah. at, is that in that 2014 year, you slayed the Giant. And then it's Oregon. Yeah. Like, it's Oregon. You know, Oregon isn't this... They're a brand because of <laughs> Nike and because of the associations that they have, but really Oregon isn't wasn't looked at as a gold standard of college football at that time. Alabama, it's like you slayed the... Mon you got the monkey off your back, you slayed the giant, but now here's an even bigger giant yeah. that you're taking on in the national title game. And all your emotion for the entire year was feeding into that first monkey. So now, Bruce, how does Ohio State recover 
emotionally and come out with the same level of intensity against Alabama. That's what I am curious about. I'm very curious about that and thought of that in the immediate aftermath of the semifinal. My thing was, okay, Herbie was right. It was, you know, this culmination, this emotional crescendo of uh, a year's worth of frustration. And I'm sure some frustration with COVID and all this stuff. And it was just a perfect storm for Ohio State of being able to unleash that energy and that enthusiasm on Clemson. Can they regain that? They've played their Super Bowl. Can they play another Super Bowl? And I don't know. I I think that might be another one of those things you see much more clearly in hindsight than you do ahead of time. This Ohio State team, I think, can gain a ton confidence-wise. There's no reason why they would go into this game thinking that they can't beat Bama. Uh, I I think they are now going to be carried by almost a recognition, a confirmation of what they are. Look what we did to Clemson. Hey, we're good, man. Like, we're really good. And we're good enough to win the title, and that title should be ours. That title's not somebody else's we're trying to steal. That title's ours. We're trying to go claim it. I think that is the point Ryan Day can preach to his team this week, uh, how close they are to history. And <clears throat> I don't expect an emotional letdown if that's no. I know that's not your concern no. but I, I know I know some fans might be like well I don't know they're not going to be emotionally let down if they lose the game and they could lose the game they'll be losing to a team that's like them they have a ton of NFL talent you're going to see a ton of these Alabama guys in the NFL in years to come just like you're going to see a ton of these guys in the NFL from Ohio State the Oregon team had was it DeForest Buckner on the defensive line he was out that game wasn't he uh, they had somebody on the defensive line that uh, is now, you know, was a first-round pick in right, the NFL. No, Buckner was. But I, I just I wasn't. He, they had a few players injured for that game, or was it their cornerback? You know, obviously they. Had, I think they Buckner had, was in the game. They had a good corner that was. Injured they had Mariota, but that Oregon team is not a wash in NFL players no, like this no, particular you, team. You have, this is a different level of talent, yeah. a different level of opponent in Bama. Absolutely, and. Uh, and a different level of opposing coach, Mark Helfrich versus Nick Saban. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, come on. That's not even. Uh, that's not even. I think most people, if I said who was Oregon's coach, most people would have said Chip Kelly. It wasn't Chip Kelly? It was Mark Helfrich. I think though. <clears throat> here's the thing: the, the the games that Bama has lost over the years under Saban, most of them have been high scoring. I think. Would you agree? I would agree. Ryan Day is uniquely suited. For high-scoring games. He is maybe the best offensive mind in college football right now. He's certainly among them. Um, every game, when he, when he, every big game I've ever seen him coach, he comes out with a new scheme that makes me fire up the Twitter and say something about how much of a genius this is. Mm-hmm. This game, it was the throwback to Jeremy Ruckert when they hadn't used the tight ends all year, and you take Ruckert, you put him on the left side in the slot, he runs a shake route back to the right all the action they motioned, they had routes, everything was going left, and the entire Clemson defense went that. And you saw James Skowski point like it was that oh crap moment. Mm-hmm. Um, barring the other word, the oh crap moment for Clemson. He's like, oh, we did not see that coming. And then right there, wide open, easy touchdown. You know, Ryan called him a play calling wizard on the on Twitter right after that. That was um Ryan Day. Called one hell of a game. That's something we haven't even touched on. He called one hell of a game against Clemson. Play calling was damn near perfect in that game. Um, 
So I think the offensive schemes, he's going to mix in different looks. The sugar huddles also, the way they mix tempos against Clemson, I'm sure we'll see that again. Um, that is something that I think can uniquely keep Ohio State in this game and maybe win them this game too. That could be an edge is the play-calling matchup that Ryan Day brings with his background with Chip Kelly, with these great offensive minds he studied under. Yeah, uh, I will say Sarkeesian's no slouch when it comes to calling plays. Oh, no, I mean, no, He's no, tremendous. No. That wasn't a knock on Sarkeesian. <clears throat> um, and Saban's specialty is defensive backfield and defense. And I just I look at his record, and this is just utterly amazing to me. He won his national championship at LSU in his fourth year. Uh, he won his first national championship at Bama in his third year. Uh, they took a took a year to get going at Bama. They were two and six overall his first year. Since then, twelve and two, fourteen and zero, ten and three. Ten and three is the downside. Twelve and one, thirteen and one, eleven and two, twelve and two, fourteen and one, fourteen and one, thirteen and one, fourteen and one, eleven and two, twelve and zero. I mean, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And he's going for his sixth national title in twelve years at no, Alabama. Unprecedented. One of the greatest college in a playoff coaches ever era. to do it. That's in a playoff. One hundred percent. But you look at uh, the matchups and you look at where can Ohio State find the exploit that's going to give them the edge in this game. And I just think that's one of them is that uh, Ryan Day has brought a lot of new and inventive ways to move the football. And he uses an incredibly balanced attack very well. Um, And the thing, here's the number one thing actually that impresses me about Ryan Day as a schematic, as a play caller, is that he can build an offense around his talent as well as any coach I've seen. Um, look at what he did in 2018 when he was the offensive coordinator. Dwayne Haskins. Ohio State hadn't run some of those pro-passing mm-hmm. concepts they were running before, and they really haven't run them since because he uniquely designed that offense around the talents of Dwayne Haskins. Um, since Justin Fields came, they've had good tight ends. He decided to introduce more under-center concepts, more power runs because they had Dobbins in the backfield. And this year... More, they've leaned back more on the spread because Trey Sermon's a better in-space runner. Justin Fields is a, more of a threat with his legs this year, or at least they've used him more of that way. Um, so the way he's designed offenses around his players and then can flip so many different switches, like they did it with the tight ends, they did it with the receivers, they did it with Trey Sermon, they did it with Fields running, they did it with, heck, <laughs> your freshman three-star recruit, Miami yeah, Williams, Williams, came in and had two great runs. So yep. um, it's where do you, on both sides of the ball is the thing, too. Both teams can hurt you on offense in so many different ways. It's not just one guy. And Alabama's the same way. Mac Jones can beat you throwing the ball. They can give it to Najee Harris. They all, they have a whole stock of receivers. So, um, again, this, I, this could be a track meet. Uh, I agree with you. I definitely agree with you. And uh, we want to thank you guys for watching us on Twitch. Hit that button, the follow button. It's the heart located at the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. You'll get an email or a notification every time that we go live. And remember our friends at American Betting Experts. They're the title sponsor of this podcast. LandryFootball.com is your home for all the podcasts that you uh, will will allow you to become the smartest football fan in your circle of friends, whether it's scouting, whether it's recruiting, whether it's NFL, college, you name it. <clears throat> We've got it all covered for you at LandryFootball.com. Okay. Uh, Indiana lost their bowl game. Other Big Ten teams won. Iowa didn't get to play. Uh, not too much else there. Um, so let's get to our... Uh, I did want to touch on Wisconsin, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wanna, um, I, I guess we could wait a, We can wait a week to do a prediction, or if you have an early prediction, you can, if you need uh, to, amend it. 
for the national title game. I guess if we're doing one next week. I'll wait till next week to make a prediction. Um, for the for Wisconsin, though, I did want to touch on uh, their win and the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Duke's Mayo Bowl, baby. We should have seen. What, they should, intercepted that weight kid like four times in the second half. Oh, absolutely. They, we should have. We should have seen a Gatorade bucket filled with mayo dumped on somebody. Yes, that was right. Put, so dump that mad. on Paul Christ. So we saw a bucket full of Cheez-Its in the Cheez-It Bowl. Yeah, we did. Why didn't we see a bucket full of mayo? And we saw Jimbo Fisher pull his hamstring avoiding the Gatorade bath the other night. I wanted to say this. Um, <laughs> Graham Mertz, I really only got to sit down and watch the entirety of three or four Wisconsin <laughs> games this year. I mean, they only played six, right? That was the number in the I end? Don't think they, I think they played six total, yeah. Six total. They went four and two. Um... I don't think Wisconsin fans have anything to worry about with Graham Mertz because the offense struggled, but it was really, he had no one open all game. Every throw, he actually got off clean and to a receiver. It looked good to me. Like, he, his completion percentage has struggled to rise above 60 since that week one performance against Illinois where everyone was like, holy crap, who's this kid? Yeah, But, um... Really, a lot of the issues have been with a depleted Wisconsin receiving core. Hasn't had as much a compliment in the running game as Wisconsin's had in the past. I think Graham Mertz is actually a darn good quarterback, and Wisconsin fans have nothing to worry about. I just wanted to make that point really quick. Why did you think he's, uh, was there buzz out there that he's not all that? Well, I had a lot of, uh, maybe this was just my friends talking in our you know, you have group texts with sure, sure. other people that watch football. A lot of them were saying, like, remember when people thought Graham Mertz was good? I, was like, he's, I think he's still pretty good. This team around him is just having some issues right now, this offense around him. Well, the Big Ten West has issues. Yes. And uh, Indiana, I will say this about Indiana, losing to Kentucky in the Outback Bowl. If you're going to talk and uh, act as hurt as Indiana did over not getting into the Big Ten title game, despite a head-to-head loss to Ohio State, and not getting into the New Year's Six over, you know, a team like Iowa State or, you know, some Florida. other teams, Oregon, Florida. Florida. Then you got to win your bowl game, Indiana. <laughs> you got to win your bowl game. You, do. you can't cover up the Big Ten logo, which I have no, I'm not a Big Ten loyalist. Like, the one aspect of Ohio State winning the national championship that I absolutely hate is the ego that Kevin Warren and the Big Ten office will put out there like, see, you see, you see, we did it right. No, you did it wrong. Two things can be true at once. Ohio State can be the best team in the country, and you screwed up the season. Both are true, okay? (laughs) If Ohio State wins this game, both will be true. Nothing that Ohio State does in this game validates anything the Big Ten did with its stupid delay of the season. Bama has played, what, 12 games already with fans, in the South, they they got fans. There'll be fans at this game, but that's just my thing with Kevin Warren. But Indiana, if you're going to cover up the logo of your conference because you're mad they didn't go to bat for you, then you got to beat Kentucky. And 100%. they didn't. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's where we are. All right, I have a I have a, a prediction in mind for the national title game, but we'll hold on to it uh, because I do think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be an epic game. Exactly. I think there's going to be a ton of big plays in this game. Mm-hmm. It's going to be uh, a a heavyweight battle. I want it to be. I want this. I don't honestly. I almost want this to be. It would be nice to see Ohio State run rough shot again, like they did against Clemson. But I I kind of want like a classic. I mean, this one would be. It will surprise me if it's not a hard in your throat. 
oh my goodness, we just lost it. Oh my goodness, no, we didn't. You know, that kind of a game from both the Alabama and Ohio State perspective, I think the stars in this game are going to be stars and are going to put up big numbers. And at the end of the night, it's going to be like, uh, you know, Marvin Hagler and Tommy Hearns, like <laughs> Ray Leonard and and Tommy Hearns, like Ali and Frazier is going to be two heavyweights throwing bombs, absorbing bombs. And at the end of the night, we're going to have a big hug. And finally, like college football is going to be able to script uh, a fitting end to a season of fits and starts. But you're going to be like, those were the two best teams, and those teams are loaded with talent. And that was a heck of a title game. That's what I expect. That's what I expect, too. All right. Uh, With that, Andy and I will turn it over to our friends from uh, the Big 12. In defense of the Big 12 comes your way at the top of the hour again. Remember, Landry Football is your source for all things football. Go there, and uh, we will be back uh, most likely again next week with another edition of the A Few Good Men on the Big Ten podcast.